Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. I'm your host, Susan Nay, and it's my honor to introduce you to today's guest, Ayo Oduni. Now, Ayo is a senior member of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion with Black Professionals in Tech Network. He's also a board member of Leadership Waterloo Division, Expedia.co, and ImmigrantNetworks.ca. He owned his own consulting firm in Nigeria, and he has just been elected as Councillor of Ward 5 in Kitchener, Ontario. Wow, huge congratulations. Way to go, Ayo. Originally from Lagos, Nigeria, in 2016, he moved to Canada, and we're going to talk about that experience and that of others um, also moving to Canada. Welcome, Ayo, and huge thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for having me, Susan. It's a great pleasure uh, being here. I want to say hello to all your listeners. Um, thanks for tuning in and uh, downloading the podcast. Excellent. Now, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, a little bit about some of the the um, information I learned from a presentation to leads that you and I did. But before I get to that, I just wanted to share how much I love that I learned that your name Io means joy. And joy for me just means just open yourself using it as an acronym. You've done absolutely that with the work that you're doing with new immigrants to Canada. Uh, it's just, it's phenomenal. The what I've learned about what you're doing and, and some of the research I did for the podcast. Now, LEADS, which is uh, where Io and I first met, is a leadership development program for the library and information services sector in Canada. And Io shared that roughly 75% of Canada's population growth comes from immigration. Foreign-born children make up of children, people, <laughs> children too make up about one-fifth of Canada's population, and that by 2036, immigrants will represent up to 30% of Canada's population, compared to 20.7% in 2011. Now, that's welcoming over 400,000 new permanent residents in 2022 alone. This is huge. Now, you also shared that 77% of racialized Canadians admit to being on guard at the office, that 41% of immigrants report high levels of stress, and that it's a really tough um, barrier of job entry with stories of microaggression, being ignored, and being looked down upon. Your personal experience and that of several of your colleagues was just that, uh, that it wasn't a warm welcome, and that's not good. Can you share a little bit more about your experience and, and that of some of the 
the people that you're working with? Please. Sure thing. Um, thanks. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, that number is actually in terms of people coming into Canada. Uh, there was a new uh, report that came out a few days ago where the government um, is actually saying now that they're looking to bring in 500,000 per year by 2025. So it's going to go from 411. It's going to increase. So uh, in, in terms of, you know, the government has visibility studies and plans and projections, and they see uh, the need uh, for the economic migration. But I think there seems to be a gap between government seeing the need and wanting people to come in and doing everything they can to expedite uh, that, um, uh, to make sure that we have enough workforce in the economy. Uh, in comparison to what is happening in the workforce with leaders within organizations not necessarily understanding um, or even have an idea of the types of people that are coming in. I think there, there seems to still be a mindset of immigrants coming in are refugees from other countries. Mm -hmm. And it seems, oh, we need to just take care of them. Uh, and I want to even start out with that and say, there's so many immigrants that I know who came in as refugees who are doing amazing things now in Canada, mm -hmm. 10 years, 15, 20 years later on, who are adding so much value uh, in so many amazing ways. And their children are adding so much value. And I know several of them that I learned from uh, and I get to connect with uh, in different capacities uh, as well. So it's important that we're aware of that. Uh, some of the challenges that we face as economic migrants uh, could be lack of understanding of those that are within organizations uh, with uh, migrants that they're working with. Uh, you come from an, we come from a country where we've done this work before and we did it in a more, uh, should I use VUCA economy? You know, it's volatile, it's uncertain, it's in different directions. So we've had to manage so many things happening at the same time. I don't know if I told you the story, Susan, of a friend of mine who was a director in one of the major telcos, uh, telecommunication uh, firms in Nigeria. And he's, he has to deal with people stealing things, you know, or he has to deal with when they need to fix things. They're going with soldiers or with police officers to certain places or wow. going to remote places to have to fix things. And then you move over here and you're working with one of our telcos or one of the, you know, other uh, companies. They don't have those uncertainties or those volatile economies or some of those things. You're just doing your work. So in other places, your risk analysis and your management and your planning has to be top notch. Mm -hmm. And here it's reduced significantly. So you're probably only using 20, 30 percent of your mental brain because you didn't have to, you know, you're not dealing with what you had to deal with before. So uh, there are many frustrations that people deal with when they get into organizations where um, you can do more, but you feel constrained. Or uh, you know you have an ability to be able to add value, but you know you're held back in certain ways because uh, the organization doesn't know where you got your degree, if you can do the mm -hmm. work. When I first came, I was being asked, "Do you know how to use Microsoft PowerPoint?" And I was like, "Okay, that makes sense. Why I've been struggling?" Because if you were asking me that question, that tells me that yes, you read through my resume. But you're not certain of what is in the resume. Mm. Um, you're, you're not sure. So you want to manage me 
micromanage me through the process yeah. because you feel like you're helping me rather than you see me added value to the organization. So uh, there are many stories uh, mm -hmm. just like that uh, that can complicate issues and it leads to frustration uh, for many individuals. And it also leads to you not being able to give the full value that you bring to the organization. And it creates this repeated cycle at the end of the day uh, that could hold you back and also hold back the value that you add as well. You'd actually shared a couple of your own personal situations and that of some close colleagues uh, not lasting in an organization, I think because of some of those other unmet expectations from yourself or um, I guess just the, the, the culture didn't fit um, for either yourself or the organization. Did you want to share a little bit more about that or should we move on to some of the other questions? I remember uh, when I first uh, came and I started working with a consultant firm and prior to getting in, I had spoken with the CEO and, you know, shared strategies and ideas that we used in Nigeria for my consultant firm that helped us grow within one year. Uh, from a certain number to, you know, we grew about like 60% uh, within like one year. Um, so I share that, you know, individual is excited. They bring me into the organization and then I'm blocked to do any of these things, you know, and eventually I had to just ask, what is the issue? You brought me in to help improve and move this, but then you're blocking every plan. And the response is, well, you're not in Nigeria. You're here in Canada now. Okay, well, can you bring your knowledge and experience <laughs> and your legacy? Let me bring my knowledge and experience and let's merge and bring it together. Why block everything? So mm -hmm. eventually became, okay, this is how we want you to do it. Mm. And my response is, so why would you bring me in? And then you you tie my hands and then you give me a target. And then you say, this is how I want you to do it. Mm -hmm. Allow me to do it the way that I believe could work, or can we collaborate? Yeah. Like, no, this is exactly uh -huh. what we want. That was a very frustrating situation. Mm -hmm. You know, we had even talked about me having a chance to lead several sessions and consult for several of the clients, but then suddenly the story started changing. You know, a month into working for the organization. And now I'm in a backbone in a corner making cold calls when the conversation was more me leading a lot of the consultant practice. Uh, wow. So that was a very frustrating uh, issue. And that was just, that was my welcome to Canada call. Mm. And uh, luckily, five years later, I got an email from the 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 lead of that organization apologizing you know for those times and i really loved how she put it where it was like you know we weren't sure how to use your skills or talents and i think it's important that people know that as well um the, that that was shared with me uh, afterwards so that was the first one the second one it was the same type of issue uh second job that i ever had in canada it was was heavily micromanaged every step of the way where I was being told this is exactly how it should be done. This is what should be done. Whereas the colleagues and the stakeholders that I was working with, um, no one ever had a negative report to share with my boss. It was always excellent reviews for when the 360 degree was done. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, was done. Mm -hmm. Yet still, my boss, my leader was not comfortable with allowing me to be able to work 
with these team members. Uh, so it got to a point where it was like, uh, they want to see every email. They want to be copied in every correspondence. Um, they want to make sure if a mistake is made, they're there to cover up uh, for the mistake. Uh, but for every person that I worked with, no one ever had a negative experience over a period of a year and a half uh, plus. That was also very frustrating, led to several back and forth and arguments. And it got to a point where it literally felt like I had to shut my brain and wow. just, and th that's what I call, that's why I call it, shut your brain and just do what you're asked to do. Uh, and word for word, what you're being asked to do so that you can survive that process because my performance evaluation uh, is a reflection of what that leader wanted from me rather than the performance and the KPIs that we were exceeding. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was also a very frustrating. And that's just two situations. Mm -hmm. The first, and I felt it was the uh, welcome to Canada um, responses that. Uh, that I received from my bosses at that point in time. And that's not good because that that somebody looking at your resume could see the the wealth of experience that you were bringing to the positions and what you'd felt was the clarity going into the organization of what their expectations were of you. And not good just that, you know, it doesn't leave you with a good taste about not only the organization, but of the Canadian experience. And those experiences get shared. You know, and we, we, if we're going to be looking at numbers like 500,000 a year, we don't want people not considering Canada because, you know, there are people that have gone before have not found that it's um, it's been a, a positive, Canada is a positive place to come to. So we, we really do need to get better at this. Yeah, yeah, we, we do. And I, I tend to have this argument with people uh, several times where I feel when I speak with the immigrants, I need to share the art of working with your managers and managing up. So, mm -hmm. you know, that sense of, okay, yes, you've done this 20 times before. You don't need to share that. Just go with the flow, allow mm -hmm. the person mm -hmm. to leave, uh, make sure they feel like you need them through that process. And, you know, make sure you constantly give back the power and, Yes, you've done it before, but ask for direction certain times so the person feels like they're mm -hmm. provided that. And those things are annoying. And people tend to push back and say, come on, Io, that's politics. And I don't want to play that game. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like, it, it makes life easier and it gives you freedom faster than you come in and say, oh, I've done that. I know how to do it. Don't worry. I'll be okay. And suddenly you have a situation where this person feels they need to micromanage you mm -hmm. we need to find a way to give the power so they can in yeah. turn share the power with you so it's more of a mental psychological game mm -hmm. that you have mm -hmm. to play as a immigrant um do i advise everyone to do it unfortunately uh, that's a decision that each individual has to make uh, for themselves depending on who they're working with mm -hmm. but i mm -hmm. think it's helped a lot of people survive and thrive quicker mm -hmm. and get the freedom they're looking for quicker and I love in the work that you do, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, your podcast and some of the other uh, sessions that you've been um, involved in, that you work with both offering really constructive um, feedback to both immigrants, but also to people, colleagues. So I'm going to go to the colleagues at this point. 
how can we help? Certainly that clarity and coming into an organization. Um, how do we help people, new immigrants in particular, feel like they belong? Um, you, you use an example, like take them for coffee. Like th there's some really simple things that we as colleagues can be doing better, but you you elaborated a lot more on the other things that we could do. Can I take us there for a few minutes? Sure. Um, push to connect, uh, I would say would be the first one. Push to connect, get to know the, the other person. There are many times we feel like we're all different, but when we start going beyond the surface, we realize that we have so much, in, uh, we have so much um, in terms of uh, areas that we, we relate with one another. And uh, for example, we all love our children. We want the best for our children. We want safety. We want security. We want growth. We want to be stretched. We want to have meaning. Um, you love to go to your cottage. They love to travel to another country. Like we have so much in common that many times we don't seek for it. We don't search mm -hmm. for it. We only focus on our differences. And we might not realize that we might have a lot more in common than the differences. And we overemphasize the difference rather than overemphasize the connections and the mm -hmm. commonalities. So push for connection is a big one. Uh, number two, be curious. Get to know the other person. Ask questions. Get to learn about them. Curiosity and building connections leads to trust. Trust helps you through the tough times because you've deposited so much in the relationship bank accounts, in the emotional account, like Stephen Covey says, uh, that it, it can help you in the long term. So push for those connections. Number, uh, I mean, uh, be curious. Uh, number three, ask the powerful question, how can I support you? Mm. How, can I, how can I support? Uh, it's a, many times we assume we know what people want. Whereas it's a totally different scenario. I just heard a story this week. There's a friend of mine who is a director in an organization now. And uh, we were just having, um, we had family together, just spending time and we were chatting and she works with um, uh, an organization uh, where she's now a director. And one of the concerns that came up was, you know, the, the, the previous person and the the previous uh, director and the board uh, have been very controlling uh, through this transition process. And in their minds, they're helping to support her, you know, and rightfully so. You're looking to support and make sure this new person that's coming into leadership. But after a period of time, the person is now getting frustrated because here, yes, again, yet again, the micromanaging, the mm -hmm. holding hand, the feeling of, Oh, we don't want you to stumble. So we're going to hold your hand for eight months and for nine months. And okay, why did you give me the role if you don't feel that I'll be mm -hmm. ready to at a certain point in time? So what is holding you back as you're given power, but then you're also taking it away? So at that point in time, it would be nice for the board members or the colleagues or the predecessor to say, hey, how can I support? And that individual could say, back off. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allow me to. Okay, I've, I've figured it out at this point. But yeah. there's the assumption that oh, this person still needs the handholding. So we need to constantly check in. So you checking in at four months is not the same as checking in at the end of the project or checking mm. in, you know, six, uh, five months later or whatever. So that constant check in with that person. How are you doing? How are things going? How can I better support you? Mm -hmm. That provides a lot for them. And then also 
providing coaching. Mm. That's an area where we all feel uncomfortable. It's like, oh, if I share with this person that you can do better in this area or you can do better in this area, oh, would that would I be considered racist? Would I be considered this? Would I be considered no? Providing coaching is giving that person an opportunity to also grow. Mm-hmm. You have so much experience as a colleague working in Canada for so long that I don't have. Uh, so there are things that you see in terms of body language that I wouldn't even notice mm-hmm. at all because I am new here. Yeah. But you probably went to school here. So it's become such a, such a part of your subconscious uh, because you grew up in the environment that it has to be obvious to me and my conscious mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. I can take it to the subconscious. Yeah. So things as simple as, you know, hey, you were a tad loud when you were speaking to that person. It sounded like you were yelling at them. Oh, I was just excited, mm. you know, but to that person is different. Or, hey, you weren't looking that individual in the eye when you were speaking or you weren't looking me in the eye during that conversation. Or, hey, it sounds like you shut down when I pushed back on that idea that you mentioned at the meeting. Can we, you know, uh, I just noticed that. Uh, can we chat about that a bit more? Like it could be anything, uh, but providing that feedback allows the person to be able to um, grow and develop. And it also helps to build that trust that this person also has the best, my best at heart. And mm-hmm. at mind as well. So that is also very, very um, important. And then we over, uh, we over mentor and we under sponsor as colleagues. Uh, many times people feel comfortable mentoring, but then they don't feel comfortable sponsoring. And what I mean by sponsoring is you're in the room when that individual is not in the room and you have an opportunity to speak up for them to get Mm. that permission, to get that opportunity, to get that job, step in for them. I ran for office and there were so many people, Susan, that supported me in the back end but refused to take a picture with me, refused to endorse, refused to put the name out there and outrightly said no. And one person was bold enough to say, I don't know if you're going to win. So why put my name out there like that? Wow. So yeah, I've been here six and I still had to do with it, but I was new in that space and they were willing to meet with me, provide advice, provide mentorship, do a lot in the background, but were refused to be associated with me out there so the question is yes are many people comfortable with mentoring because mentor could be one-on-one nobody gets to see you in that process but when it's time to sponsor now you're putting a part of your reputation your credibility online that's why the coaching is important and the connection is important because Mm -hmm. you want to put the best person out there you know before you're able to sponsor them so that is really important. And I feel like that is the big step in allyship. Mm-hmm. For Are you willing to go beyond mentoring and sponsor? That is when you're truly um, an ally, when you're able to do that for someone. Um, mentoring, we can all do it quietly in the background, but can you step up for them as well? Yeah, it's kind of walking the talk, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know. I remember you using an example about, um, hey, take the time to actually research where that individuals come from. And one one of the questions that you suggested is, how were things done in your previous company, and and why might they have been done that way differently? Again, part of that curiosity that uh, that you're talking about. Now, as, I, as I'm listening to you as an HR, for me as an HR professional, I'm thinking, you know, 
all of what you're sharing is so relevant for every new individual coming into an organization. It's just really um, magnified with somebody who's coming into a new country. And as you say, hasn't um, been living in kind of the norms of Canadian culture. Um, so those are really, really important um, things for us each to remember. Thank you for sharing. You include, included a quote um, in the Leeds presentation. Uh, I believe it was from hbr.com that leaders are so terrified about messing up and saying the wrong thing to all of their stakeholders. And that would be employees, board members, funders, clients, customers, and the wider world via social media, that they're paralyzed into inaction. And I've, I've certainly, I think I've, I've heard this from people. Um, what if I try to connect? What if I say something wrong? What do I do then? What are your thoughts around that? I tell, people, trying. I tell people to just, you, may, you mess up, you make a mistake, just move on. Just continue the conversation. We are so concerned with um, messing up or not saying it properly. And what it does, it leads us to inaction. Hmm. And both sides need to realize that. The immigrants... And then also those that are looking to connect with the immigrants. So for immigrants, we need to be forgiven. Uh, someone has seen your name. Yes, uh, Owaduni might, because I've said it since the day I was born. But for someone else, they're probably just seeing it for the first time or the first few times. So we need to be understanding and forgiven. Yes, don't cut it short. Yes, don't give me a nickname. But I also want to be lenient and be uh, nice enough to understand that this person is going through a process or a change. It took me a while to learn how to say Yukonevich, which was one of my friend's names. And it's been forever <laughs> to be able to know how to say it. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it the first try. Um, but that individual was also patient with me through that process mm -hmm. as I had a chance to learn it. Uh, so can we do that um, with one another? We want people to mentor to connect with us to learn more about us and our backgrounds but if we're offended by every mistake uh we immigrants need to realize that it's only people that are very comfortable that will reach out so those that are not sure yet or are not 100 percent comfortable they're not going to reach out and we are in a really sensitive time uh in our history as a nation um especially after um the George Floyd murder, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, and so many other uh, things that have taken place over the past um, two years, people are very sensitive at this point in time in terms to not wanting to offend. or, mm -hmm. But then it also leads to people not wanting to ask questions. Or, you know, people don't want to challenge certain things. People don't want to be, it's, I just don't want to be seen as in a certain uh, light or or whatever it might be. Uh, we can't we, we we can't get to a place where everyone is terrified to connect and have a conversation and um, make mistakes. We have to be perfectly comfortable with making mistakes and then moving on. So on both sides, we need mm -hmm. to be forgiven. We need to be understanding, but we still need to hold each other accountable. We need to just need to find a better balance. And we need to just understand one another better. I love the empathy because when and I listen to you, I think, wow, for a new immigrant, every time they open their mouth, they're probably thinking the same thing. What if I do this wrong? What if I say this wrong? 
How frightening that must be. Oh, yeah. Do, do people understand my accent? Uh, they speak so fast. Canadians, you speak fast to us. It takes a mm. while for us to adjust to the speed. And then when we speak, we're trying to keep up with you because in North America, and should I say with the uh, Caucasian culture, it seems your language and your fluency and your eloquence is tied to your um, your intelligence. So the more Canadian you sound and the more eloquent you are, uh, it's tied to how people view your level of intelligence. Uh, so we see that, we perceive it from you. So we are put in a very um, interesting position that we want to be able to pick up the language quicker and mm -hmm, speak a mm -hmm. bit quicker and learn how you speak and speak the way you speak. Uh, sometimes it takes a lot of boldness for people to just be comfortable to speak the way they speak. Uh, mm -hmm. So we need to just be able to empathize with people through that process as well. And also appreciate the trying. I know when I was in Paris recently and attempted my high school French, I could tell that people really appreciated that I was actually reaching out and, and respecting their language, not just expecting them to speak to me uh, in my language. So yeah, good, good points. You also... Um, talked um again it was a quote from hbr.com that high belonging was linked to a whooping 56 percent increase in job performance a 50 percent drop in turnover risk and a 75 percent reduction in sick days it really is this feeling of belonging every one of us crave and it's so important to remember that um we need to get better at this absolutely it's, it's, we all do yeah, and, I mean, the statistics prove it, as you've shared from the, the um, HBR article. And, and for leaders that are listening, your one-on-ones with um, your, your team members who are immigrants is it, such a great time, not just to talk about project updates and status and things of, of the like. It's also a chance to get to know more about them, learn more about them, the coffee opportunity as well. But then uh, there is a great book called uh, Magic, Keys to Employee Engagements. Um, and I'm trying to remember all the different acronyms. Uh, you know, M is, you know, does the person feel like their job has meaning? Uh, a is autonomy. Do they feel like they have autonomy over their work and you're not micromanaging every step of the way? G is around, uh, is there an opportunity for growth? Um, is there a chance for them? Do they see a trajectory, a career uh, growth uh, plan within the organization? I don't remember what I is and I know C is connection. Is there a chance mm -hmm. for them to connect with you as well? So all those things are also tied to uh, a sense of belonging. Uh, if they people feel they have meaning within the work that they do, uh, there is a higher sense of them feeling like they belong. When you connect with them, when they speak in meetings and you listen, you don't have to take you know, what people say, but did you hear them out to get an understanding of what they're trying to say? It's important. Mm -hmm. um, touch points to to you know chat through i have um i have bi-monthly uh i call it heart to heart one-on-one -on -one with my team members we don't talk about status updates we don't talk about any of those things we go to magic we talk mm. about magic directly 
how are, first of all, what am I doing that is annoying you is always question number one. <laughs> and they love that because it's like, okay, let me tell you about you, Io. You know, and my job then is just to shut up and write notes. And that's when I've heard you are overdoing this or you're not doing this well enough. Can you change this? Can you tweak that? So it's an opportunity for my team members to give me feedback. Then we go into magic. You know, do you feel your job still has meaning? Do you feel like you have autonomy? Am I over micromanaging? Um, what can I do differently or do better? And they share. Uh, let's talk about your five-year plan. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, do you see uh, Do you see a growth uh, potential? How can I better support you in that area? And all it comes down, you're connecting, you're learning, and you're listening to that person, and it creates a higher sense of belonging. Oh. So for me, belonging is the results, but as leaders, we need to put the work in to create that results for them. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. You, you now I have me. to remember what I is in magic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that, that leaves a little bit of research for our, our listeners as well. Um I want to take us, you'd use the term economic migrant. And in the presentation to Leeds, I was quite surprised to learn all of what was involved in actually attaining the category of economic migrant. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then I want to move on to your talking about your podcast. Economic migrants is a special category uh, with uh, in immigration uh, to bring in our uh, Canada's goal is let's bring in uh, the way my friend puts it, uh, creme de la creme of other um, uh, high performance in other countries. Uh, let's bring them into Canada uh, to be able to jump into workforce as quickly as possible to be able to support our growth as a nation, support our economy as well. So for you to be an economic migrant, there are so many things that is involved. You need to have a certain amount of money in uh, your bank accounts uh, and they're checking uh, as well. Um, so I believe roughly from what I understand from uh, a, a lawyer friend of mine, it's about $20,000 or so. Now that might change over time mm -hmm. and because of exchange rates and economies and inflation or whatever, but that was something. And that is way more that many Canadians have in their savings account. And by the way, they're not counting equity. Like, so if you own a property, that's not being counted. Uh, if you own assets, that's not being counted. How much is in your bank account is what is being counted. Wow. So it's 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 a lot. Then you need to have a certain uh, health status as well. Uh, Canada doesn't want to bring in sick people that they have to take care of. They want healthy people. So you have to prove and show that you're healthy um to canada as as well you need to have a certain level of education now there are other cities and towns that are now requesting a push into request for other types of qualifications like oh we're looking for uh blue collared workers and things of the like from other countries so that might change over time but for now you have an mba or you have a master's you get certain amount of points for it in the whole point system uh, you have a PhD, you have a higher amount of points. So your education, your savings, all these key things come into play uh, when, you, when, when you're looking to come in. Not everyone that applies gets in. It's a low number of people that can come in, but it's usually the best of the best coming from other countries. So on one end, we are I don't want to use the word crippling other nations, but mm -hmm. we're putting the best of the best for them to mm -hmm. come in 
And many of these people that are coming in, wouldn't it be nice for them to be able to come in and be able to jump into the workforce quickly mm -hmm. so as they're adding value in this nation, they can also still send money back home to add value to their country and to their nation and to their people uh, as well. And I was glad to hear that the Canadian government is starting to work on that, of having credentials uh, reviewed more quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. So at least they're they're hearing that that's something that is a high priority. Let's let's move to talking about your podcast um, called Immigrant View. And it's where you share stories of challenges that individuals immigrating to Canada face. And my understanding is your purpose to help immigrants who are looking to maximize their potential in Canada. So it's a good place for people to go for um, good information from you. But rather than my <laughs> continuing to talk, tell us more, please. Immigrant View started out, I had a radio show on CBC called How to Canada for a few months, and it was on um, uh, five, six stations across uh, uh, the country, but I was only given eight minutes. <laughs> and it's not very as, long. You, as you can tell, I talk a lot. You know, like, <laughs> really, eight minutes? I just did my intro. And we were trying to just brainstorm how can we continue the conversation from How to Canada in a place that we can control and can be at a longer space. So the initial idea was, hey, eight minutes on radio and then tell people you can listen to the rest of this on the podcast. But then we also realized that I, you're not an expert, at, you know, you're only an expert in a certain area. Let's bring in experts in other industries and who also have similar stories, who are also immigrants that can come in and share their story, their experiences and, you know, for, for immigrants as well. That was how the Immigrant View was birthed. Um, Unfortunately, as soon as we started, How to Canada ended. So we just decided to continue with the podcast. Uh, so it was birthed out of a necessity to, uh, you know, uh, make a certain uh, segment longer. But then it now became the thing uh, as well. So Immigrant View, the goal is how do we provide education, inspiration, uh, instruction, whatever uh, is needed for immigrants so they can soar and thrive here in Canada. Uh, several of us that come on, we've made many mistakes that we feel if we can share some of these things with people that are coming behind us, they can move quicker and they can arrive at their destination, whatever that is, uh, faster. The faster they can integrate into the system, the faster they can add great value to the community um, to their community here in Canada and also to their home country as well. Uh, so that was what birthed um, the immigrant view. And it's been phenomenal ever since. I feel like I learned more from the immigrant view and I get inspired by the people that come on. It's amazing how those things work where you're thinking of adding value to others, but then you realize you're probably the one getting the most value from it because I learned so much from all the different immigrants that come on. And I'm just blown away by the bravery of immigrants, the challenges that people face. Uh, one story I just recently heard, a young lady who her father, they migrated from uh, Mexico, emigrated, excuse me, from Mexico. Uh, and um, the father couldn't get a job, couldn't find a job here in Canada. He was a veterinarian in Mexico, so he started his own business here. And now as a family, they own, I believe, four to five franchises, you know, um, they own their own businesses, they're hiring people. Uh, but 
he could he couldn't find a job when mm -hmm. he first arrived. And when the opportunity didn't show itself, they created the opportunity. And I was just like, what a story for immigrants. Mm -hmm. And now it's passed to his daughter, who was uh, whom was the person that uh, uh, I interviewed, uh, you know, for, for the podcast. And, you know, she owns her own business now. She's running now. She's teaching other immigrants how to start their own businesses and run their own franchises here in Canada. And there's so many stories just like that mm -hmm. and of just immigrants just just being resilient through so much and the wisdom and the knowledge and balancing that plus their regular nine to five mm -hmm. and like how <laughs> taking care of their families and doing so much so it is amazing and i want to encourage listeners if you can listen to the stories on the podcast because on one end, it's for immigrants to learn, but on the other end, it opens your eyes to the struggles that immigrants face and can give you an idea of uh, how can I better support people. When you hear their story, it's a great opportunity mm -hmm. to empathize with people and also support and help them um, as well. And that's what, I, that's what I love about your work. Um, and while vets, I mean, I've got lots of friends who are pet owners who couldn't find a veterinarian, um, mm. particularly during the pandemic. So needs that um are now being handled thank you yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna go to your podcast uh pillars for adjustment for a new environment and uh you're speaking with guest yosef scally now yosef is an ambassador at immigrant networks and this is an organization which provides resources and assistance to immigrants and international students and I will put the um, website on the show notes for the podcast for anyone who's interested in looking looking deeper. Now, the two of you talked about the reality of coming to an unknown situation, um, of not feeling fulfilled and of loneliness. And you, you have and you have been through the podcast talking about some good guidance on how to counteract this. Um, things like the wheel of life and being self-aware. Can you talk a little bit more of some of these ideas that you have found helps new immigrants with a, a more positive experience? So some of that self stuff that they could be doing. Thanks for that. And, you know, some of these things. Uh, so I'm also one of the ambassadors at Immigrant Networks and I mean, it, it just aligns with one of my values uh, just around helping uh, immigrants thrive and soar. Uh, that's why I'm on uh, the board of advisors and also uh, one of the ambassadors. And I just love the work that they're doing uh, at Immigrant Networks. Um, so kudos to Nick Nurani, who started Immigrant Networks and is really just so passionate. If if you feel that I'm passionate about this, Nick is on another <laughs> level. I feel like I get inspired by him. We speak probably on a bi-weekly basis, and he's just talking about, uh, so it, it's on a much larger scale what he's thinking and talking about. Um, so yes, in terms of my conversation with uh, Yusuf, uh, we talked about some key areas that you know immigrants need to know. So the network part is so crucial and so important for people. When you're applying for a job and you need to drive down to Toronto from Kitchener for a really important job interview and you have a child uh, and who's going to be that person to watch that child for you for that crucial time period? 
when you've left home for seven, eight months and you're going through loneliness and you're, you have tears in your eyes and you're feeling extremely sad um, and it's 9, 10 p.m. at night, who are you going to call to have that conversation with? And many of us have gone through those situations ourselves. You know, when you're, you're a, when you're a man, going, uh, you've moved to this new country with your family. And by the way, this is something that we all don't think about. There's no data to back it up yet. And I'm hoping that my team, we can do some studies on it. But I've had conversations with, let's say, pastors and leaders of different organizations where they talk about marriages of immigrants tend to suffer when they come here as well. Because the dynamics and the expectations of the culture changes. Um, I, I'll just, I'll, I'll just a side note, something just to drop that we can talk about another time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're going through those issues with your, with your partner or your spouse and, uh, excuse me, with your partner, and you're trying to figure out who do I talk to? Who do I trust? Where do you go? It comes down to your network. We only think of our network in terms of your professional network. But we're, I'm currently working on an ebook around networking that I want to provide for immigrants. And we break it down to your professional network, your personal support network. Who do you lean on when you're in dire need? Who are those people that you can lean on in those, in, in those times? And then your long-term network. And what I mean by that is where do you see yourself in five years? And what network will get you there? So you need a network that will help you find a job today. You know, a network that will help you find that position five years from now. I met several mayors five years ago, and I told them I wanted to run for office. So I've been in conversation with them for or five years. So by the time I made the call saying, hey, I'm ready, it was easy to be able to sit with them. And, you know, they were able to provide advice on what I could do. But I built that relationship for four to five years with counselors, with mayors, with leaders in the community, because we developed a five-year plan, which is another ebook we're working on, you know, for immigrants <laughs> in terms of building a five-year plan. So Nick and I, we have a lot of work to do. So that is the importance of networking. Will of Life is something, uh, Yusuf is a life coach, and I have a life coaching certification, but I've never really practiced. But Will of Life is something that you learn. And the idea behind Will of Life is whenever you're feeling pain, in any aspect of your life or you're frustrated, there are probably about eight to 10 key areas that you might be having a, maybe I should call it deficiency or you're not doing well in, and that is leading to your stress and your frustration. And what life coaches tend to do is when you meet with them to talk about those things, they bring out this wheel of life and you do a quick assessment of where you are. And you're advised every two to three months don't wait till there's a pain. Pull out your will of life and look at it. And what is the will of life? Number one, your finances. Number two, energy. Um, I've noticed that by 7 p.m. nowadays, I'm very exhausted. So I have to review, you know, okay, what is happening with your energy? Um, are you waking up too early? Are you not having enough sleep? Are you doing that? Like, so energy. Mm -hmm. Your spirituality, um, depending on what religion, that's another key area. Your relationships, aka your network and those types of things, that's another key area as well. Family is another one. Career is another one. Those are the six that I can remember of. But if you Google Wheel of Life, it will come up. Um, and then you can look at it and assess it. And what Yusuf was talking about is 
many times when we come in, we only think of maybe finances, uh, career, and possibly family, but we don't think about self. We don't think about energy. We don't think about extended family. There are so many other areas that we don't look at as immigrants that leads to frustration. And we don't even know where the frustration is coming from. You know, and even within career, there are certain career there could be where you are now, the job that you're doing, the drive to the job and the hours you work and the money that you make. Like there's so many aspects of it, you know, that you can. So there's a a will within the will. So that's, you know, the, the, the will of life. And those things help you to be very self-aware. It gives you awareness of where you are and just that constant self-awareness. Oh, I'm frustrated. Why? And for the will of life, how do you find mentors in those key areas? So you have people that are good in those areas that can help you out. I'm having a problem managing my team. Okay, who is a mentor in this area that I can sit with that could help me? So within that career field, I'm feeling a frustration. Help me through that process. Or I'm not doing well financially. I need to sit with a financial coach or someone that could work with me. But how do you reach out to them if you don't have them in your network? So it yeah. all just fits together. And we tend to react rather than be proactive. And uh, yeah, we're just hoping to help immigrants through this process. It can be overwhelming because there's so much being thrown at you at once. We learn it over a six-week process. And is there a way we can teach it to people so they can help better manage their lives? and transitions better. Okay, for our listeners, you're just getting a snippet of the value-packed podcasts <laughs> that are under Immigrant Networks. And I really encourage you to go and check them out for yourself. Um, I would assume on most of the podcast sites, but we'll also put a link in the show notes uh, so that you can go and do your own deep dive. Now, in the podcast, you also deal with current events and situations. And uh, as an example, the recent increase in the number of hours that international students can work while they're they're here studying. Um, the podcast is titled Extension to Extension of Student Work Hours, and then in brackets, Immigrant Backlog with Nick Narani, so the gentleman you just referenced. It was fascinating uh, because when I heard the news, I thought, oh, that's fabulous. Students can now work a maximum of 40 hours per week as opposed to the previous 20. But you pointed out, but they're supposed to be here focusing on their studies. And you expressed understandable concern that when they're now able to work more, and of course, there's the financial pressure always, that's got a potential impact on both their studies and in having an impact on their studies, that it's also having an impact on the visa that actually got them here in the first place. I hadn't thought of any of that. And so I really appreciate that you you really do a deep dive into um, a lot of fascinating topics um, that I, I'm I found certainly in, in researching to do this podcast really open to my eyes um, and and much of what you share is so relevant right across the whole scope of people, um, not just as I've shared before for, for new immigrants. So um, I want to talk about some other things. So I'm not going to, unless you've got a quick comment on that particular podcast, I, I want to actually move to um, something that you did again with the Immigrant Network. 
Yeah, yes, I do. I, I want to give a big shout out to the team that manages the Immigrant View. Uh, so there is a back end team that handles the research and the information, and they do an amazing job of it. And, um, and one of my many biweekly conversations with Nick, this issue came up and both of us just felt, you know what, we need a monthly segment to talk about current affairs and how it impacts immigrants. Because Nick is in, deeper into this space, so he sees it from a different angle. And just like you, I didn't think about that either. And you know, I was like, "Oh, is that a good idea?" And he was like, "Well, I don't think people have thought of this aspect of it." And when I heard, it, I was like, "Wow, that is good for us to 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 uh, to think about." And for for the listeners, I remember I took a course once at a local community college, and probably about ninety. 5% of those in the class were immigrants from different, you know, a different country. And I'll remember halfway through, maybe after two, three weeks, half the class was, were not in class. They would only come for exams or, and things like that. So I approached one of the international students and I, what's going on? Why are you doing this? And they're like, well, well first I had to find a house to, to live in. So it's, do I live on the streets <laughs> uh, or come to class? So they were, they had to make a crucial decision around that. Then it's, I need to find a job that I can do my 20 hours a week. So I need time to go out for interviews and whatever. So do I come to class or do I go look for a job that will help me pay rent because my family took a loan back home uh, to send me to school or this is my mother sold her land, the only investment they have in their country to bring me here now you, you're having to make all these decisions. I was not aware of those things. I came in as an economic migrant, which is a totally different thing for us. And then hearing from the international students, like I have to make a decision between coming to an organizational behavior class uh, or going to work and making some extra money for myself so I can go beyond noodles and actually have a burger <laughs> or whatever it might be. So it, it's amazing how we can't, if we don't know the stories, we cannot empathize with people. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked that they have to make some of those decisions. Now, that was when it was 20 hours. What happens when it goes to 40? Are people disciplined enough um, to make those decisions? And then when they do get their degree, yes, you passed the exam and you did well and you worked on your projects. But you truly learn the Canadian way of interacting, doing, you know, or did you learn from the project management course? Because now you're going into the workforce and now you're clashing with cultures and so many other nuances that weren't necessarily mm -hmm. uh, in the textbook, but has to be shared by the instructor, you know, from a question asked in class or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. So I think that was something that Nick was alluding to. And um, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that people are able to listen and make some wise decisions based on some of those things shared. Yeah, I could see there being some pressure, too, because it's part of the skill shortage. So it's going to be pressure on those students to provide more work, more hours. You know, it's going to be a, a you know a difficult decision for them. So thank you. So back with Nick. Um, on the website, so the Immigrant Network website was a YouTube session that you did with him that you called the Seven Success Secrets for Canadian Immigrants, and these being language, stay positive, embrace Canada. Plan B, move out of ethnic silos, take calculated risks, and volunteer. 
Now we've talked about a couple of those. Um, can I ask you to just share a little bit more about how you feel that these seven, because uh, I think what you're doing is you're encouraging the new immigrant to observe, listen, and learn, as you call it, the Canadian way. Okay, let me dive through this. So this is something that Nick has uh, has put together for, for years, and he goes to make presentations, and he shares this. And I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. Something works already, and we can learn from it. Uh, we go with it. In fact, I'm speaking to a bunch of um, uh, immigrants uh, this coming weekend at an event, and I'm using seven success secrets. Uh, that's what I'm sharing with them as, as well, because I'm learning from it. So the first one, language. Uh, do you want me? Did you want me to explain each one? Really, really briefly. Okay, sure. Uh, the first one, language, is is just more uh, the way Nick puts it. Is you can tell the people that will be successful in Canada, the immigrants that will be successful. We all hate to say it, but it's more how well you speak, like a Canadian. Uh, the farther away you speak from, <laughs> you know, uh, not like a Canadian, the lower your chances of not moving up. And it's like we all hate it. But that's just the reality. Nobody's going to talk about it. But let me just let you know now. So he's more like, then go learn to speak English or French and speak like the Canadian so that you're able to be seen as an equal, not seen as, you know, oh, an immigrant that we have to support. So uh, that's the language. Number two, the importance of staying positive and having just... um. Uh, acknowledging, the, you know, the fears and concerns that you have, but being positive through it all. Our first two years in Canada is usually very, very tough. Be aware of it. Be very aware and just put your plan in place and stay positive through it. You might apply for 250 jobs and not get a call back or an email. And you might receive 200 rejections. That could take a toll on your mental health uh, over a period of time. <laughs> in fact, Susan... I created a separate email address where rejections went to because I just couldn't handle it anymore. Okay. I was a, like, it was so painful and it takes, I created a separate email address so I don't have to look at it when it comes in. So that's staying positive. Embrace Canada. Uh, don't come in here and feel like you have to just stick to your country. You're in a new country. Learn about the culture, learn about the people, the systems, how things work, the holidays, uh, learn their history, the indigenous people, like learn these things. It helps you appreciate the country more and dive in. And, you know, you're here. Have a plan B. Uh, we were on a call one day and a doctor from, I believe it was Oman or country said he was coming to Canada. And Nick said, don't don't even bother. Like You're not going to find a job as a doctor here. And I remember I was shocked. And I remember I called Nick afterwards. Don't say that to people. And he's like, I don't know. Like we need to share the reality with people. Stop bringing them in and then they can't find something and then they're depressed and sad and they waste money. No, let them know ahead. If you're a doctor, don't even bother. Maybe for the next five years till we figure it out. Unfortunately, the person will probably not listen and still come in and everybody feels their story is going to be different. That's what he said. Mm. <laughs> but the reality is we're, you're going to go through the struggle like we did. We're trying to make it better for you. But here's just the reality. So have a plan B. If this doesn't work, what else can I do with my degree? Or what other alternative degree can I have? Have a plan B ready. 
Number five, move out of your ethnic silos. When we come in, it's so easy for me to just stick with the Nigerians. I know you, I understand you, you understand me. It is so easy. But step out of your ethnic silos and get to meet and know other people. Because when you're in the workforce, you're dealing with everyone else. Uh, the quicker you know how to integrate and work with other people, the faster you'll be able to understand how to talk to people. Uh, I remember in my church, we were part of a Nigerian Bible group in a very diverse church. And my wife and I made a decision that was very controversial to leave that group because we wanted to, like, we're in Canada. Let's get to meet Canadians. So we left our group and went to other different groups. And people didn't like that, but we felt we needed to do that so we can integrate and get to know people better. And that really helped us out long term. Take calculated risks. So on one end, you want to be uh, just think of your risk assessment. Don't just dive all in. You have to be smart about how you do things. Uh, be smart about how you approach things because your plan A might not work out in Canada. So our view calculated this very well um, uh, to think about your plan B and how that could work out. And then number seven, volunteer, volunteer, volunteer. It seems to be the secret to growth and development in Canada. And I've looked at my trajectory over time. Usually me moving up was due to someone on a board that I'm volunteering with. And I'm like, oh, you're the CEO of this company? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You're this person? Oh, wow. You're the former mayor? Oh, wow. You're this. And then we become friends and it has helped me to grow. So I love volunteering. It's a chance to give back. But people don't realize this. Volunteering also gives back to you. Um, a lot, and we don't realize it, whether it's through recognitions or the people we meet, uh, network we expand with, all those things, it adds great value. Many of us, especially from Nigeria, we only volunteer through our churches. But mm. now it's time to think differently and volunteer in your community. Not saying you don't have to do church or your religious organization, but also do your community as well. Anyway, I know you said quick, sorry. No, that's, per <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you. Because um, I know really that volunteering is it's building your network you know and you talked earlier about how important that is um just and it, it kind of takes us on the plan b you had talked about uh the statistic that 70 percent of engineers choose not to requalify given the onerous and expensive process required but instead they identify their transferable skills and then they use their skills differently in the example used as very competent project managers um, in the people that you've worked with, if you found this to occur a lot where you help people take a look at what they're bringing in, it's like, well, how else could you be using that expertise? Um, is that what you're seeing in the clients that you work with? Well, the sad part is everyone feels like their story is going to be different. So the first few years, um, I don't even bother talking about those things. I might just plant a seed, mm. but when you're a professional, when you were a former VP in an organization or a former uh, C-suite uh, executive uh, and you come here, you're not going to listen to those things like, oh, it's me. I'll be fine. But then two years later or a year later, we have the conversation and we can start talking about those types of things. So I like to plant those seeds in people's hearts, uh, but then I don't want them to feel like they're going to fail you know, in their initial plan. Have a plan, but then also have your... Um, your plan B as, as well. I do know of, I remember I took a first aid class once and I just noticed the 
the the presenter or the person running the session was really in depth with their explanations. And then I realized they were a doctor in their previous country, but they couldn't practice here. So they started teaching first aid. So they weren't just teaching first aid. They were going really in depth and they were using big, fancy, you know, medical words. And they were a pediatrician in their previous country. So they, it was you could tell the difference between mm -hmm. someone just teaching first aid and then the person saying, now, this is not in the book, but. And then they now dive deeper and, and then we're all like writing notes like, oh, wow, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. We should do these things. Uh, I've, I've seen that. People should be aware is when I started applying, I had to go get a loan in a bank so that I could get certifications in my field, uh, in my field, because the list of requirements just to apply. By the time we finished the certifications, uh, you were talking nothing less than twenty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, Certain like you know the oh they want this situational leadership uh certification um wanted my pro sci change management certification uh coaching certification the ones from outside the country were not good enough uh to even get callbacks so we had to get a loan to be able to do that so I mean big shout out to Windmill Micro Lending who provides those loans for immigrants when we come in and then they space out the payments over a period of time. Uh, but my wife had to do it to get her certifications. I had to do it to get my certifications as so many other people do it as well. Uh, and it's just shocking that, oh, I went to do a master's in the US, which was one of my friend's stories, but then he had to go back to a college here to redo the certification, a certification. So think of a master's in US, but then a certification from a college here until he did that degree, he didn't get any callbacks at all from all the companies he was applying for. And it was a very depressive time for him, depressing time for him. Uh, just to like, it was shocked. I paid all this money for a master's in US and I'm not even getting any calls. Wow. So we need to be aware of those things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How it affects people. Yeah. And again, thank heavens, the federal government is starting to see that they've got to be doing something to correct that so that people's credentials can be uh, reviewed and validated as the equivalent or hopefully a smaller number of courses that people have to take to bring their credentials up to, uh, I guess the in quotes Canadian standard that's expected. I'm gonna do a shout out to uh, Conversations That Matter program. It's something that's recorded here in Vancouver. Host Stuart McNish interviewed Patrick McKenzie who's the CEO of the Immigrant Employment Council of BC. Now for our listeners, this organization develops and promotes solutions for BC employers to attract, hire and retain immigrant talent. Um, it's employer focused and it's resources and programs that help businesses of all sizes and sectors across British Columbia integrate skilled immigrants into workplaces. So that they're doing also some really great work. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a similar national organization now, in the session that um, Stuart interviewed Patrick McKenzie on, Patrick mentioned that only 20% of the immigrants are coming from professions requiring requalification of the credentials, things like doctors and engineers. The other 80% are probably more dealing with the reality that you were impacted by, and I want to bring us to this, but you don't have any Canadian experience in interviews, but that's... The, often the reason that they're you're not being offered the 
opportunities. So that predetermining of transferable skills and some of the work that you do with your clients and help them figure out what those competencies are and then helping them prepare for an interview where they can have that conversation about these are the competencies and this is how they could be applied, um, have to be helping. Instead of just going in with a, you know, an incredible curriculum vitae or resume, but actually helping those that you're being interviewed by sort of answering the questions for them. And it sounds like that's some of the work that you're doing and some of what you're trying to deal with in the podcasts and the programs that you're on is that plan B, but it's also how, how do I then position myself positively to help with that uh, understanding of what I could possibly bring to this organization? You're, you're right. And uh, every Wednesday on Immigrant Networks, we have a call where an average of about 30 immigrants join. So Nick is there, Yusuf, I'm there, and uh, several other ambassadors join those calls. And we focus on a topic each week. And every now and then we bring back, you know, uh, behavioral interviews and, you know, immigrants taking control of interviews and turning into behavioral interviews mm -hmm. using the STAR method. And the reason why STAR method, uh, for those that don't know STAR is, you know, you talk about a specific situation where you're asked questions, then you talk about the task, your action, and then the results uh, of the situation that you're describing. And the reason that is so important is you need to find, okay, yes, I don't have the Canadian experience, but I have faced this situation before from my previous experience. And then based on that, this is how I excuse me, this is how I handled it. And these were the results. And you need to find a way to subtly, well, not even subtly anymore, uh, overtly, <laughs> overtly mm -hmm, uh, be able to communicate. The situations are similar. I didn't live in a hut where I came from. I worked in an organization just like you did. The people are similar. The situation was similar. This is how I handle it. So this is me bringing my uh, thinking and critical analysis and all those things into play, my leadership qualities. These were the results. These were my learnings. And I think the more immigrants are able to use the STAR method, um, the better their chances of getting the opportunities uh, as, as well. Uh, I, I do believe that there is always still this underlying, oh, but the person doesn't have, you know, Canadian experience. In Ontario, is illegal to say that anymore because um, the government has made it illegal. But you and I know in HR, we have our underlying reasons and then there is the communicated reason. Uh, we just went with someone else or this person is not a culture fit or whatever the uh, sentence is uh, that is used um, at the end of the day. So as the immigrant, what I advise is as quickly as possible, get a certification in that field. There are times in my certification classes, Susan, that I am exhausted. I don't show up or I'm tired or you're talking about things that I did 10 years ago, five years ago, but you just go through it just to get the certification so you can show the, 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 um, the organization that you've gone through the Canadian, you know, uh, checklist process. Oh, if the class is taught by a Canadian and they probably talked about how it's done in Canada. Now I have greater trust that this mm -hmm. person is what they're talking about because it has a Canadian college name. 
Uh, so I, I just tell immigrants, hey, it's $400. You'll be done in eight weeks or 10 weeks. Uh, you get to network with people in your industry. You get to learn maybe one or two things from the teacher, but it's exhausting because it's 7 to 10 p.m. And mm-hmm. so I usually would, I would just take like three courses, <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and I'm done in six to eight weeks. But I have the certification that is needed so that person can respect me equally. Um Oh dear, so sad. But but as a recruiter for the years that I recruited, I was always impressed when anyone would come in and had already considered that I would be asking questions on judgment or communication skills and came with, you know, really pertinent uh, examples of of things that they'd done to, you know, to share with the recruitment team. I get the question that you're asking and and I I have this experience. So I'm going to take us to some other resources and that's some of the books that you um, have shared. Um, one being The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle that you said helped you. Um, and another Canadian Workplace Culture Mastering the Unspoken Rules by Matt Adolf, I think is how you... Adolfi. Adolfi. Um, and, um, so maybe first to those two, and then I'm going to turn to the book that you wrote with your co-author, Corey Atkinson. So a little on the culture code and Canadian workplace culture and how they've helped you. The culture code is a really powerful book that just, uh, that, that a lot of research was done on high performing teams, uh, the Navy SEALs and top organizations in different places. And it highlights, um, you know, what was different, what was different about those teams in comparison to other people uh, or to other groups um, that are in the same space. And there was, you know, uh, uh, references to chemistry of the team, references to um, them building relationships, reference to the connections and uh, building trust and coaching one another and being real with one another and spending time together with one another. And hopefully, um, listeners, you're able to take some valuable lessons from that uh, to be able to implement. So one thing that you can do, there is a website called executivesummaries.com. I think you pay like 100 something dollars per year. Uh, I do that. And they give you an eight-page summary of so many different books that you can read. So you don't have to read a 300-page book. <laughs> you read an eight-page, you're able to grab a lot from it. Uh, so they they do a 20-minute audio recording and then an eight-page summary. And that's where I'm able to catch up and keep up with what is happening in the world of books. So it's a great website. And you can probably download Culture Code uh, Cheat Sheet from there. Uh, I stumbled on Matt Adolfi's book when I was doing research on my book, which is Values, Culture, Period. Uh, and I just stumbled on it because I was looking for books on culture on Amazon. And uh I bought it because I was like, oh, interesting, Canadian workplace culture. So I bought it. And when I read it, I was blown away by some of the things that Matt shared in his book. Many mistakes that I make, that many immigrants make. Everywhere I go now, and I always have to remind people that I don't get any commission or shares from Matt <laughs> in any way whatsoever. But I feel like I push Matt's book more than Matt pushes, pushes his book. And I've said to Matt, Matt, I'm like, you're sitting on a gold mine because immigrants need this book. And every single organization that works with immigrants that helps with the integration process, it should be required for every immigrant coming in to read his book. 
because he left, for those that don't know about the book, he left Canada. He's a Canadian, born and raised. But then he went to school, I believe in Japan, or he went to work in Japan for probably about 10 years or something, uh, and then returned uh, back to Canada. And he said he started to notice things that he had not noticed, you know, growing being born and raised in Canada. It wasn't when, until when he returned. And he's like, it was all those little nuances and communication, all the new little things that happens in the workplace. Growing up in Nigeria, I'll give an example. Youth, you are promoted based on your technical competence. In the work Canadian workplace culture, Matt talks about you get promotion based on how those around you perceive you. Are they willing to respect you as a colleague? Uh, you know, and will your boss be able to hand over to you and not have any problems or worry about problems? And it's so amazing. It's so different. But we feel, oh, I'm the most technical competent on the team. I have a PhD. I have a master's. I have five certifications because I was forced to go get those things. I am the most technical competent. But then someone else gets it and you're wondering why. And then Matt talks about, well, does the team respect you? Did you build relationships with them? When they talk about swimming with their kids, did you talk about swimming with your kids? When they talked about the baseball game, did you watch the baseball game and talk about it? The minute you start separating yourself from everyone else, you're the awkward person. And managers and leaders pay attention to those things in the workplace. So can you be integrated with the team, gain the respect from the team and credibility, um, so that when those opportunities come up, people can speak on your behalf. The technical is a plus, but there are so many other things that are being looked at. We don't think that way. So it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So Matt's book is a lifesaver. That's what mm -hmm. I call it. It's a lifesaver for immigrants. And every immigrant, please, if you're speaking to an immigrant, just say, hey, there's this book called Culture Workplace by Matt Dolphy. Would you be open to, can I buy buy one for someone that you know? It, it It's a lifesaver. It, it can help them get promotion quicker and it can save them from losing that job as well. We lose jobs and we have no clue why we lost the job. Wow. Sounds after, like I read Matt's, after I read Matt's book, I realized why I lost my two jobs. You know, the two jobs okay. that I lost. Like, oh, that makes sense now. But well, definitely on my to, to buy list. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Now, let's go to your book. So you wrote with Corey Atkinson, a book called Values Culture, period, redefining the value of values to drive business results. Tell us a little bit about more about your book and where our reader, our listeners can can find it if they're also readers. Thank you. So the book is available on Amazon. Uh, and big shout out to Corey Atkinson. Uh, really, really amazing. It was great to work with him through this book. You'll be the first person that, that is hearing how the book started. I went for an interview and I was asked, you know, part of the presentation I was supposed to make is how do you transform an organization um, using values? And I developed a model and I presented it at the interview. <laughs> I didn't get the job. <laughs> You know, but then I had this model that I developed and I, you know, I threw it aside like, oh, you know, another job interview, one of so many, you just can't seem to make it past that hump Like, what's going on. So I ignored it for months. And while having 
an interview with Corey, by the way, because I was interviewing to join, join uh, Corey as the vice president of learning and development for a consulting firm in Toronto. So during the interview process, Corey had asked a question and said, um, what else are you working on? What are you working on that I could learn about? Tell me. So one of those be curious questions, you know, that we talked about earlier on. And I mentioned, oh, yeah, I have this model thing that I worked on a few months ago, but it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I, I didn't get the job. He's like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about it. So I started to share about it. And he kept asking more and more about it. And then he said, oh, interesting. Can you come in and make a presentation to me on this? So I went in and I'm like, oh, I had to go find it because I had left <laughs> it in some Excel, in some PowerPoint presentation somewhere. So I had to go find it, printed it, reviewed it. And then I made a presentation. He's asking questions and he's throwing things at me. How about this? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Then we realized the model was not fully complete because then he's bringing his knowledge and experience working with so many clients in Toronto for over the past uh, 10 years or whatever. Then we expanded the con you know, the content. Then we went back and did more reading and we came back again. And then that's how the book came to reality because we were like, man, this can truly transform an organization. Then we tested it because at this point it was just an idea. So how do we validate this? So we tested it with some clients and we spoke to some people and we observed some cultures. We even spoke to the vice president of uh, the Orlando Magic. I forgot his name. His na name is uh, uh, out of my mind right now. But um, we spoke to him and talked about how they built culture and how they drafted um, basketball players and those types of things as well. And we did studies. So we did all that and we were able to validate a lot of the things that we put into it. But then we also felt, you know, we don't want to just talk about, we don't want to write another business book that is long and boring that people have to read and we have to put a million research documents. And we have a lot of articles and quotes and stats and data and interviews that we did with so many organizations. We just said, turn it into a story format. Uh, just like Patrick Lencioni's style of writing, uh, uh, try that style, which was what we did. And we put the motto into play and voila, that's how the book came to be. So big shout out to Corey for pulling it out of me, mm -hmm. for asking me a lot of questions, for being curious and for encouraging me uh, through that process because I thought it was nothing. It was not a big deal. I didn't even get the job, but this was someone that said, oh no, there is something valuable in this thing that you put together let's focus on that and let's pull out of it. And I learned so much from that. Wow. And it's just so, as I listen to you and, and uh, another a book that I haven't yet read, uh, but will certainly be on, on my reading list. Um, how, isn't it interesting how sometimes we can do something that just, you never know where it's going to land. You, you know, it's, know. A, it's a seed that ends up being planted that, that, you know, takes, it sprouts from the ground in a completely different way than you anticipated. And that's kind of exciting. So thank you for sharing. And I'm so glad that you actually decided to do something with it so that the rest of the world can, can also benefit. Yeah. Big, big shout out to Corey for a lot of coaching through that process as well. So part of those things that we talked about, he didn't just take the model and say, okay, great, let's use it. He mm -hmm. poked at it. He probed. He asked a lot of questions. He pushed back um, and challenged me to go do more research and mm -hmm. learn more. And then, okay, great. Now go validate it, you know, that type of thing. So 
once again, that coaching is so crucial to bring out the best in people. Um, and even now, he's still poking holes at it and saying, okay, how do we make this better? How do we better improve this? <laughs> okay, you need to develop a playbook aisle. Mm -hmm. You need to develop a step-by-step -step process of that type. And just back to the CBC's How to Canada, um, I had a question. I remember you mentioning that it, you felt it takes about five years to really feel settled. You'd said that the first two years for a new immigrant are tough, but that you felt it took five years. And you also talked about it was being important that new immigrants build a credit score once here. Can you tell us a little bit more about this last piece before we start bringing the podcast to a close? Sure. So, yeah, it, it usually takes about five years. And, and the key word there is settled. Uh, and for me, settled is returning to the level that you are at in your you know, the country you came from. So if you were a VP or a senior manager, getting back to that level. Okay. Uh, if you came in with a certain amount of money, getting back to that level and more, uh, because by the time you start paying rents, remember you're paying rent without having a job. So it's coming from a savings accounts. Um, exchange mm -hmm. rates eats into your money as well. Uh, so all those things. And because you don't have a credit history, it's harder to find a place to rent. So they're not just asking for first and last month because you don't have credit history. They want more for more security for the landlord. It eats into your your, your savings a whole lot. Um, so it usually would take from what I've seen from people and conversation that I've had with different people. There's no study behind it. I hope Immigrant Networks were able to put together a study around this uh, to learn more. But from what I've seen, it's usually about five years for people to get back to running again um, and being at that level that they were at from their previous um, uh, country. So I share that with people. Be patient with yourself, but then also don't sit back. Be uh, be as aggressive as you need to be. So your five years is four years or three years or whatever it mm -hmm. might be. And then in terms of credit score, that is also very critical because the way the system is built here in in Canada and mostly North America, uh, most things are done uh, based on your credit history and your mm -hmm. credit score. Back home, it's cash and carry system. If you don't have the cash, you're not buying that home. You're not buying that car. Um, so yeah, think about that. People have to save up $600,000 to buy a home because there's no mortgage system. It's just being introduced in many countries. In Nigeria, it was just recently introduced uh, to, the, to, to the world. It's usually people that work in the banking industry that had access to something like that, but those outside didn't have it. Uh, so it's important to build that history because for you to buy a home, uh, for you to get a good rate for the car that you want, um, for you to even rent Landlords now look at credit history um, as well. So it, it's impacted and it impacts so many things that we don't realize and we don't know. Something as simple as getting a $500 credit card and putting Netflix on it immediately so that you are at least building something mm -hmm. when you don't have a job is important and critical. Uh, because when you're looking to buy a home in two to three years, it's that Netflix payments that is going to help to start mm -hmm. creating that credit score. Yeah. Now people end up 
fall into the trap of now you have $2,000 credit card debt because it's like, oh, I could just swipe and that's it, even when I don't have the money. No, don't fall into that trap as well. But if you're looking to build wealth for your family and for the next generation, having leverage history is so important in, in that area. Excellent. Thank you. So many nuggets. Oh, my goodness. You're just you're a wealth of information. Thank you. I, any last thoughts before we close? Bring this to a close. Yeah, I want to just encourage people that are listening. Let's go back to those key things we talked about. Be curious, push to connect with people, uh, build those relationships with those around you. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. If you do make a mistake, apologize and immediately move on. Um, connect with people and coach people as well. Don't be afraid to push them, just like Corey pushed me. Uh, push others, ask questions when you notice something. But don't coach until you've built trust. Because if not, people will start uh, misconstruing and trying to figure out what is the intention behind this or misread it uh, at the end of the day. And yeah, thank you all for listening and thank you for hearing my ramblings. I hope it does add some sort of value. And thank you, Susan, for having me on the podcast. Hey, you're such a leader. And oh my goodness, Kitchener is so lucky to have you as a Ward 5 counselor. I remember you telling me that you wanted to run to help Ward 5 reach its full potential as a community and took the time to use that curiosity to learn what your constituents are wanting you to be pushing for in the time that um, you are there representing them. Uh, I have learned so much in talking to you and in doing research for this podcast. So I, I sure hear you when you say that it's really interesting when you become a podcaster and how much you learn from the guests that you bring on and the different areas of expertise. You're right. It is just so important for each of us to remember all of what you've shared, both whether you're a colleague or whether you're somebody who is a new immigrant. Um, we do bridge culture by showing interest. Um, by, as you say, making those mistakes, doing our homework. And I think that really goes for the colleagues as well, because uh, I really liked, and that's something that I'd never thought to do, which as a HR person, I, I should have done right off the bat, but uh, taking that time, the internet is just, it's got everything there for us. But also to manage our own biases and our stereotypes and to be aware of them, um, because you're right, they're there and we need to be bringing them out in the open and taking a look at them and realizing that they are biases and stereotypes and we get to need to get to know people as individuals. We need to adapt all of us and that kindness of just being kind to one another because you're right, we all have children and there's so much that we have in common with one another and we forget that. Huge appreciation to you, especially I know you're really busy with the orientation and the <laughs> your, your, uh, new, your new elected position. My new life. <laughs> so, ha so happy to hear that you took a little bit of time out last week and uh, hopefully your, your wife is now back with you because it sounds like you took a little bit of a trip as a, as a getaway just to, uh, uh, to be able to breathe. Um, for our listeners, I'm going to ensure that the websites that we've referenced, the organizations, the books that we've talked about are all in the show notes for the page as, of course, is IO's contact information and IO... If people are interested in reaching out to you, I'm assuming that that's okay with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to get your book and I'm going to get uh, the other books that you've recommended. So I've got some reading ahead of me to learn more. Thank you 
to our listeners for the time that you've taken with the two of us for your own learning and, and hopefully doing things better. Uh, it's Io and Susan signing off. Have a great day, everyone. And um, it's time for us to fly. Thank you very much, uh, Susan. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye, everybody. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review, whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangenay at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.